Good evening, you are listening to Three Moves Ahead, and I'm your host, Rob Zachney. Joining me today is our friend, freelance writer, Rowan Kaiser. Rowan, welcome to the show. Hello again. And we also welcome back, after an extensive hiatus, uh, the Game King himself, Sean Sands. Thanks for having me back, but, you know, don't wait so long next time. Yeah, it was, it was a pretty, it was, it was difficult to endure, uh, endure that week, <laughs> that week apart. <laughs> Uh, but as as we promised, as we threatened, we are discussing the latest uh, Europa Universalis 4 expansion, Common Sense, and uh, the many, many ways it changes the EU4 we have known and loved these uh, past couple of years. So, um, Sean, I, I think we'll just start with you, because mm-hmm. you're the guy with over a thousand hours in this game. Um First Clip, impressions. Clipping along nicely, thank you. Yeah, uh, uh, what, what, are you, what are you at these days? Uh, oh, jeez, uh, just over eleven hundred. So you know, little, little. You I, down. I need to step. Yeah, I need to step it yeah. up a bit. Yeah. Uh, well, exactly. is is common sense the expansion to to get you back to your your twenty fourteen form? I think when it, I, I I think it needs a little touch up. You know, I guess it depends. In one sense, I really like the changes. I like the ideas behind them. I like the 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 way it is is legitimately making me change some of my play styles. Um, you know, one of the things I, I I tend to like about the expansions that come out, particularly for this game, um, is that most of the time, even if it's a little painful at first, like they've really upped the uh, the the coring costs in this particular uh, version. And I remember when they really upped the aggressive expansion, and there are all these little things, and people get really upset about them because it 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 completely sort of destroys the old strategies and the old way of doing things. Um, and this one probably is the biggest offender of that because the fort system changes so much and the develops development system changes so much. Um, and you know, they're, the, the the way you sort of expand and grow and really making a, you know, growing vertically as opposed to, uh, you know, widely, um, being a really viable strategy changes so much. So I actually, I tend to really like that because now I feel like I'm playing a very, very fresh game. That said, there are, it feels like some problems with the AI's ability to deal with these changes um, that become a little frustrating at times. The dial seems to have been turned really hard in some areas, and I think there's probably room to dial back. Um, interestingly, this it, it feels like a much more aggressive game now. I'm seeing a lot more weird things happen on the map, and I'm seeing a lot more, uh, you know, smaller powers, uh, you know, just kind of getting into constant wars, and it's become... Um, it's 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 not kind of reached sort of a, a stasis or a equilibrium yet, uh, so I, I guess I'm kind of waiting in in one sense for it to smooth out a bit. I think there's probably I don't know if there're going to be any more hot fixes, but I think there's probably some patching to be done here. Um, hopefully, we won't have to wait for another expansion to see that. Um, but all the uh, most of the ideas are things I really really like, and I'm actually finding wars to be more fun than they were before and and it's it's you you've you've got to be a lot more on your toes to to you know stay competitive i feel like one of the the main things that this improves for the overall game feeling is how fast it seems now mm-hmm. um, 
I think that they've done a good job of taking a lot of the busy work and turning it into fewer and more interesting choices. And just over the course of an entire game, it feels like, you know, I can play, I can play a game in like a full several hundred years in two or three days instead of the whole week that it had been if I wanted to, you know, devote myself to it or whatever. So it, it feels like it's a, um, it's a smoother game experience now, which helps a lot because, um, you know, I used to have days where I was like, okay, if I want to start an EU4 game, then I'm basically saying there goes everything this week. <laughs> I don't think that's entirely the case anymore. No, I, you know, one of the things I really like about this change, um, so one of the, one of the key, uh, changes in in this particular expansion is the uh, advent of development as opposed to you know uh, just tax modifiers being sort of the the determination of what's you know of your province and and so you know buildings are you have to be a lot more strategic now about what you build in your cities because if you're not developed far enough you can't end up building a lot, so you really have to be thoughtful. You're, you have the opportunity to be thoughtful about, okay, this city, this area has a lot of manpower, so it's going to be more, uh, you know, military-focused, and this one is, it's on it's on the sea tile, um, so it's really worth it to kind of have that more diplomatic focus because there's lots more benefits as far as naval and things like that. So there's stuff to do in between wars that I really like. Um, but I also really like that it now also gives me something to do with my uh, monarch points. Um, you know, if you, you know, it, it, it's, it, it was almost boring sometimes or, or, or frustrating to play a advanced European power because inevitably you would just be wasting your monarch ports and you'd be just trying to dump them into, you know, whatever buildings. I'll just spam out 15 of these barracks that I don't even really need just so I can kind of shave off these uh, military points that are capped but now i have something to do with all of them that you know is is meaningful potentially and interesting because uh, as you you know add development to uh, your cities they actually get you know they they either you know maybe have a higher tax base or they have a higher production value where you get more manpower there's a one-to-one -one action between those manpower points uh, or monarch points and your your ability to do something with them. That's, I think that's probably my favorite change because um, it asks me to be more strategic and thoughtful about managing uh, my nation, regardless of whatever size it is. And I don't just feel like, oh, you know, it's mid-game, it's 1,600. I guess these are just wasted points now. Yeah, I definitely like what you say there about how in the old model you would just sort of spam out buildings uh, there would inevitably be a point, unless you were really having a tough run of luck in terms of ruler quality, mm -hmm. you inevitably hit a point where you had a lot of those monarch points across the three categories, and uh, if you just saved up money, you would eventually just sort of do blanket improvements of infrastructure across your entire empire and yeah there was a little bit of stra um strategy to it like there were always those provinces that were really marginal right where like you couldn't do that much with them the the improvements would only go so far so you're better off like building up certain provinces there's there's always a little bit of that but by and large it, it hit a point where you would just sort of say okay i've got you know a thousand you know a thousand gold in the bank um i'm near max monarch points on you know, diplomacy or whatever. Uh, so I'm just going to open the build menu 
and I'm just mm-hmm. going to just like pave my empire with you know marketplaces and um you know docks and that sort of thing at the same like so so what i what i do love about this this new province develop development system is geography matters much more than it used to empire like your your country no longer feels like this colored blob on the map um which i think in the old model it definitely did and i didn't mind that but it never really felt it never really felt like i had it never really felt like i was connected to the land if that makes sense you know what i mean i never had this conception of like okay this is the breadbasket of my country this is you know this is where our our manpower is coming from this is this is where you know we're 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 producing a lot of our goods this is the trade hub this is you know this is the military mm-hmm. frontier i didn't really conceive of the countries being that and i certainly didn't have to think about these things in relation to other countries which is something i find myself doing a lot now which is i'm looking at the borders of the people around me and being like uh, do I want do I want to upgrade this province that much? Like this is this might be a difficult province to defend. Do I do I want to keep building it up? It has a lot. It has a great baseline level of, of production. Like there's there's a lot to build from there, but I don't. I may not want to commit myself to defending it against the AI, and that's a calculation that that I wouldn't have to make a lot of times in the old system. And yet, I have this weird feeling about uh about common sense that actually reminds me a bit of like old world of warcraft expansions where hmm. there's a lot of cool stuff here suddenly the game i played and loved for two years has profoundly changed and kind of disappeared in some ways and that's that's leaving me a little ambivalent if i'm being honest it freaks me out a little bit like okay so so Talk more about that, like, because I, mean, I, I, like I, I just said, there's huge changes here. It's a very, very different sort of play style. It's offering me a lot of new things to do and a lot of different ways of looking at things. But I don't have that disconnect. It's sort of the fundamental layer. It's, it's, um, you know, it feels more like playing a game I've played a long time just with some house rules, um, you know, so it's still the same experience that I, I, you know, I've become really familiar with. And, and I think that's interesting because I'm, I, you know, I'm not having that disconnect, but I, I feel like I've heard that a couple of times. Okay. So I think part of it is this might be a better balanced game. It might be, let's call it even a more historical game. Um, but you know, I'm, I'm sure you've done this too. Over the last couple of years, we've learned how to play EU4, and, and we've kind of learned how to game EU4, oh, right? Yeah, yes. And there's something comforting about knowing all those angles, but also the way that EU4 really became this game, and it was something I always loved about it, is that it's, it's a game where nothing is really in, inevitable. You can always just keep playing on... Um, you know, you can you can pull off these huge upsets against other empires. Uh, if you're really smart with your army management, you can really sort of dance rings around much much bigger empires. Mm-hmm. Except and for Scotland. Scotland's always screwed. Yeah, yeah, not Scotland. Yeah, if, you, if you're cornered, yeah, if you're cornered, you, it's always gonna be tricky. 
But I feel like with this with this expansion, it is both a very different game from the one I've been playing, but also I think one where power is a little stickier. It's a little less fluid. And I think part of that comes down to maybe the fort system, let's say. Uh, because now you can't just you you can't just sort of like run kite your armies around your enemies' armies, right? You you can't do that anymore because these forts exist on the map that not only exert local control over adjacent territories, but will also block the passage of armies and pin them down in certain provinces. Which I and, think is the biggest deal of what they do. Yeah, yeah. And when and when we talk about the AI not really dealing with some of this stuff, this is what I I have noticed that the AI seems to just occasionally get stuck and not realize how to get through a fort. Mm-hmm. So, like, I'm sitting there with, like, an outnumbered army about to get in a battle, and there's a, a stack of 30,000 men just, like, on the other side of the mountains that's like, I don't know, guys. I can't walk <laughs> that way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the the AI can definitely struggle with the the new geometry of the map, and 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 frankly, so can I. Like, I had things go badly, badly awry uh, fighting Burgundy. I sent a British army up into Flanders to uh, siege. I don't know some fort in the Low Countries and everything, but I couldn't get out. Uh, I couldn't even back out of, of this one province. I, I was completely stuck uh, in place. And I don't remember exactly how that ended up happening. Uh, it, was, it was sort of a fluky thing. It didn't happen again. Usually, it's 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 sort of this rule of you know you 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 can't sort of you can't advance through a fort. Like you, you you're you're sort of stuck on that fort once 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 you've occupied it. Mm-hmm. Um, once you, once you started the siege. But what I'm finding this is doing in terms of the combat. Is that it does mean that your army eventually, your armies are much less mobile in common yes. sense. They get pinned down constantly, not only by the fact that enemy sports, territory, they're yes. much more mobile in your own territory. And, right. And in neutral territory, it's worth mm-hmm. mentioning that they seem to have some kind of system where military access becomes automatic in most, but not all cases, which helps a lot until you can't figure out why. Yeah, they've made huge changes with that just over the past few. I mean, it's it's clear that that's been a direction of theirs is to, you know, between the the rule that says if your enemy has access, you have access. If your ally has access, you have access. If you're fighting in Austria is part of the war, then you have access to the entire HRE. Um, I, it's, it's interesting because I think you're right. They're trying to make it seems like they're trying to make those neutral, neutral territories much more relevant. And it just becomes an interesting thing where mobility is increased in one direction and decreased in another. But uh, but I do find, the, for me, I think the sum effect is like, I feel like weight of numbers in a weird way is telling more in this system than it was in the old one. And you might feel differently because it, it does constrain movement in these different ways. But I am definitely feeling like if you're trying to pull this big up sense against an, an enemy um, and they hold... They, they hold the forts, you're going to have to take those forts, which means you're going to have to commit troops to sieges, which means you're going to be stuck in these positions uh, that you won't be able to maneuver around. And it was definitely cheesy in the old system, but I think it was also one of the reasons you were able to do just dumb things with these tiny little countries. And mm-hmm. now it definitely feels like you'll you'll start a war 
And then it's like, okay, well, we've hit the first line of forts, time to begin the sieges, and okay, here come here come the big armies. And uh, at that point, it becomes a little more of a foregone conclusion than I felt it was in the, uh, in the base game. I think that's fair. I think you mentioned, though, that the part of that is because of the gaminess of it, too. And I, I, I guess, I, you know, while I certainly will take advantage of it while it's there, you know, the, the old days of you managed to win, you know, a fight and you just pursue the army around, uh, you know, in a, in a shattered state. Um, for, you know, uh, two months until you just obliterate them. Uh, it, that always felt, you know, really kind of, I, I just, it just didn't feel right to me. I, I, particularly if it happened to me on the other side, you know, this idea of, okay, I'm, I'm this power. I have a man, I, you know, I have 150,000 people waiting in the wings um, and Brabant is going to chase me around with their five stack and wipe me out just because I, you know, couldn't get away fast enough to get my morale back. Um, I kind of like that it becomes what it feels like to me. I'll give you an example. I was playing France and I've been beating up England because that's just, fun. Um, but I was taking London and London was blocking that. And I would come in and I had, you know, maybe I was able to get like 30,000 troops across before the English Navy cut off the, the, the channel. Um, and they maybe had 20,000. And so I would come in and we would have this battle and I would win because I had superior troops, but then they would, they would shatter retreat up towards Scotland. Uh, but they would have time to take advantage of the fact that it's, you know, their country and they are, you know, regrouping. And so they would come back down kind of time. And again, it ended up feeling much more like this battle of heavyweights instead of a battle of two heavyweights, but that, you know, where the one gets the knockout punch in the first round and then just, you know, spam sieges three guys on yeah. every territory, yeah. which I don't like. One of the one of the things that I think is an issue with this feeling a little off right now is that I think the wars are still scored similarly to the old way. So you kind of want to get that knockout punch because mm -hmm. the war score is so good for that. But now like you win these major battles and you get like 0.5 war score even though like that's the very best that you can do and it do it doesn't yeah. feel like things are weighted quite right but i do think that going back to what i said about this being a faster game there's a lot less of that you know niggling your armies through provinces to try to escape or chase down mm -hmm. or whatever and that just was not an actually interesting thing to do, but it was something you sort of had to do to exploit those wars. I totally agree with you on the scoring and the balance. And, you know, even I think that even extends into like prestige growth. And I, I that that's that that goes back to that thing of, OK, I like the idea still feels like there's really some dialing in to be done here or, you know, not that, you know, they they may see uh you know, they may agree or, or not agree, but my, you know, my feeling is not like, oh, I'm so angry that, you know, these, these changes have been made. Um, it just feels like to get to what it feels like they want to do with this game, it just needs the dial turned a little bit. And I think, you know, we saw that after the, after the expansion release, they had a hot fix almost right away that changed some of the, like the Diplo annexing costs got, you know, knocked back down a bit. So I think, you know, I think there's hope, <laughs> but you're you're right. A lot of a lot of those numbers just feel like they need some tweaking. It it still feels like to 
disagree with Rob a bit. It does feel like the same sort of game. Like I played a, a full game as Bohemia, and I had played as the Bohemia six months ago, and it felt like a similar sort of thing, where like I'm basically locked horns with Austria the entire game and sort of expanded around them that way. Mm-hmm. And uh, eventually, I got to the point where I was a superpower who could take like huge chunks of land off Hungary and so on. But um, like that's just sort of how it how it kind of worked for me was how I think it was supposed to work. I just think that some of the, some of the feel and tweaks could be, I don't know, more different or. Yeah. um, I think there's some timing in there too. I think they've, you know, it feels to me like the game really opens up about 150 years in. And a lot of those things that feel confining early in the 1400s and the 1500s, once the, the kind of league wars go away, um, and you start getting more advanced with your administration tech, and you've probably got some ideas by that point uh, that support what you want to do. Um, it, it just feels like they've 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 leaned into making the mid and late game when you really kind of have you know the power behind you and the strength. And and, and if anything, actually, I think the very early game uh, is 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 probably even harder now with the fort system because getting those forts down with just like 5,000 guys and a group of horses over in the trees, it's a little agonizing. Especially when you're playing a multiplayer game on speed two as we were. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Just praying for the can technology. But you know, this is, this is fairly historical. This is the trend of the era was move towards sieges and, no, if we wanted if we wanted uh, something different, we'd get we'd uh, demand Victoria too. Yeah, and, and definitely like I, I like that added element of call it historicity or or, or whatever. Uh, but I I also I, I also do think it's it's cool that like it does give these countries these different characters uh, because yeah. you know we were playing a multiplayer game today before we uh, before we before we recorded. And we were doing some fighting in Central Europe, and I was sort of stunned at how unbelievably difficult it is to get anything done in Central Europe, uh, particularly Poland, because everyone has a fort. Every like there, there, there's there's fortifications everywhere, and so like as opposed to sort of like these these sweeping areas of of, of England or like Central France, where like you know there, there's maybe one key fort and then there's tons of open field for battles this was just this like grinding it out um mm-hmm. you know it was just this you know three yards in a cloud of dust kind of kind of eu4 game uh that, that felt completely different from ones i've had before right because terrain it wasn't the terrain didn't seem to matter as much but it was just that like provinces were interchangeable and even a really big fort just meant you'd have to commit slightly more troops for slightly longer to eventually reduce it. Whereas this, it definitely feels like, okay, I can't even get, I like I'm trying to fight Poland. I can't even get into Poland because there's mm-hmm. these two forts that are basically like choking me off. And so I'm going to have to take those before I can begin the main part of the war I want to fight. That's a pretty cool change. It, it's also just in general with Central Europe, the Holy Roman Empire. I don't know if it was with this one, but I think I played relatively recently before Common Sense, so I think it was it would be a recent change. But they've they've added some things that make it so that the emperor can encourage the creation of free cities, mm-hmm. which basically means that the Holy Roman 
Empire is constantly renewing itself as a sort of place of a bunch of tiny little shitholes with forts. And, uh, yeah, that makes it, like, sort of a historically viable place for, you know, these these wars. It's useful to get in uh, alliances with these um, one-province states be- just because they have a fort, you know? I'm seeing a lot of... Uh... In the games I've played, I see Ulm being adopted as a free city a lot now. That seems like a pretty much set your watch by it. Like, how long before Ulm yeah, decides Frank to offer the free? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and uh, it's, it's interesting because, like, when I was playing my Bohemia game, I allied with Augsburg, which had, like, one or two provinces. And eventually, just by, like, them um, being in a symbiotic relationship with me, they got like six provinces and became the Holy Roman Emperor for the last hundred years. And um, that's a difficult thing to like maintain and hold. And I thought it was a, a really impressive sort of um, make that part of the map more interesting idea. The the HRE feels really, it feels like there's a lot going on in there now. In the games that I've been playing, it's it's definitely felt like, you know, a... Uh, anybody could rise up at any time and have some, uh, you know, sort of presence in there, but it, it, it's inevitably going to fall. You know, I'll be playing, you know, like I said, I was, I was playing as, as France at one point cause I just wanted a kind of easy game, uh, to get, <laughs> to get my head around, uh, common sense. And I would watch and like Treyer would, would suddenly have like eight provinces and then 10 minutes later they've lost half of it to the Palestinate and all of a sudden, uh, you know, there would be uh, Oldenburg with, you know, just most of most of the, you know, the Netherlands somehow. And then that would fall. And there, I, I kind of liked that fluidity to it, but it was just it was it was also kind of weird. The, the 30 years war seemed plausible now, which I'm yes. not sure I could say about EU4 before. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. I I think it does make these things feel a lot more like the sort of history the game's trying to evoke, as opposed to this weird like risk game version of it. Uh, but I want to turn to the, the the province development system a little bit as well to to further get into why I have this weird like, okay, this just turned into EU five uh, feeling, hmm. and I, I think part of it is just um. In in a good way, it, it it reminds me of of Brave New World and Civ Five, uh, because okay. it 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 builds it, it it builds out a lot of systems that were maybe a little bit underdeveloped uh, in Gods and Kings. Uh, so uh, this is doing similar sort of work, like to the point about geography not really mattering in the old version of the game uh i i had very little use for the province window most of the time like yeah the things i wanted to know i'd be like okay i want to know where the unrest is going to be well i go to my rebels and stability uh panel and i just sort of take a survey of what's going down in the empire and that was my only relationship with the with these provinces um in terms of like what resources they had, that only mattered really if I had enough money lying around for like manufactories, but it wasn't a a driving concern. And I almost I, I almost never found myself uh, looking around and thinking, "My, I, I really need to control the strategic fish trade in in the Baltic." I never <laughs> had those moments where it's like, "I oh, they have cod. I'm going to declare war and corner the cod." Um, <laughs> 
So I, I, I didn't have a lot of use for, for the province management screen. It, it was a level of detail I, I didn't need that often for making decisions. Uh, now I find it's, it's open a lot. I, I'm starting to focus a lot more on the provincial level rather than just sort of looking at the, um, the toolbar up at the top of the screen and just waiting for the money and monarch points to tick up. Uh, to the point in the next moment I can do something. Now I'm looking at individual provinces and thinking about like, where do I want to position this one? Uh, you know, how do, how do I want to, how do I want to build it out? Um, and do I want to sort of have it be a jack of all trades? Do I want to, you know, sort of uh, min max it. Like, how do I want to handle this? And well, that is, that is a cool change. Yeah. I, I, I think the comparison to Civ, civilization series at all is an interesting one here because it also suffers the same problem with the, uh, with that, that you experience in Civ, which is like at the beginning of the game, I'm all over that stuff. Like, Oh, I got, I got my new city. I'm going to, I'm going to be okay. Temple first. And then let, like, let me think, what am I going to, am I ready to spend some time on a settler by the middle end of the game? You're like, Oh, new city. You just blah, put all that stuff in there and forget about it. And I feel like that, sort of translate here because it's almost not as fun now to play a very a a, a very large uh, empire um because there it is asking you to invest that attention and time into your cities and you know get something out of it and there's a lot of meat there but if you're you know say the ottomans and you've taken over the mamluks and you've got bosnia and serbia and you're reaching up into poland now and you've got this big expansive empire am i really going to sit there for very long and think okay how am i going to get kosovo just right and you know trebizond and 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 spend some time there i'm just i'm not yeah yeah that's probably going to stay sort of the way it, the way it's worked in the past, where you just sort of open mm-hmm. the building panel and, and see what's available. And then maybe it'll matter more once you have sort of maxed out these provinces and you need to develop them a little further. Uh, so that, that's what I like about it. Uh, mm-hmm. at, at the same time, I don't know. There, there's, there's this weird feeling of... Um, This uh, this is this sounds wishy-washy and I'm not entirely happy with the way I'm putting this right now but it feels <laughs> inelegant. Uh the 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 system feels a little bit it feels just a little bit fussy. Uh it it, mm-hmm. it feels like something where where suddenly you talk about the fun of zooming in these provinces, and I kind of get what you mean, but at the same time I find myself now sort of becoming it's becoming more of a provincial management game than an empire builder in in, in some weird ways and i think i think part of that is just um in in some ways it 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 doesn't it doesn't do the best job of of visually showing me where things are like highly developed it's kind of something that that comes up and it's like oh you can't build that in this province I'm like, okay, well, what's going on here? Okay, I need to, I need to take it to its next level and unlock a new, a new structure, a new slot for a structure. That's what I need to do, and that's my interaction with it. But what I'm not, what, what I'm, what I'm not entirely getting, I think maybe like think of it as a flow thing, right? This used to be a game where you'd sort of sit back, right, and you'd sort of be like doing the, you know, hitting pause, unpausing, letting the game tick forward a lot. Uh, but it, but it was a game with a very sort of simple flow, right? And a lot of time you didn't have to be uh, tinkering that much. Uh, here I find like I am spending so much time just clicking around between provinces and sort of agonizing over how I'm going to develop them, which is kind of cool. 
but at the same time, it's it, it's sort of this this building a ship in a bottle task uh, that sometimes I, I find is taking me out of the old flow of the game. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think I think you're hitting on what my problem with the development system is, which is that it sort of shifts what the um, what your sort of point of difficulty in the game is. So in the original EU4, the point of difficulty was generally waiting for monarch points. Like if you were trying to figure out what you're trying to do and fix all that, like it's probably monarch points, maybe money. And now it's somehow changed the systems to the point where the thing you're waiting for is manpower. And that becomes a really weird thing to try to figure out how to stop. So it's like, okay, I never have enough manpower. Why well, don't I have enough manpower? What can I do to fix this? So then you go and look, okay, I can... The manpower comes with a percentage of... Um, it gives you a percentage of the max each time. So if you raise the max, you raise the amount of manpower you're getting. Sounds good. So you do military development, and then you look at the buildings, and you like try to get the barracks and the, the whichever things there. And it doesn't come to a point where it's like there's a single thing that you can sort of do to point at that. It's like there are five systems that are kind of related to the core issue of waiting for manpower for whatever reason, but they're not directly connected to that. And I feel like in our discussions when we're doing multiplayer, you're like, you guys also notice the manpower issue. And that's because it's done such a good job of making it so that you're not waiting for like money or monarch points or whatever. It's kind of this nebulous province management system that ends up like focusing on manpower. Kind of like when we talked about um, City Skylines, Rob, and you were like, is this still a traffic game? Yeah. Like, yeah, there are all these systems, and then here's the here's the traffic jam, and it, I don't know. It's it's a, a sort of difficult thing to figure out, like what the issue is. I I I feel like I've always been playing the manpower game, though. I mean, to to a pretty large extent, I don't. I actually feel maybe a little bit the other way, which is, yeah, there are all those systems over that, that oversee that, but that actually gives me more authority in sort of dictating and managing it, which I've always actually felt is sort of missing. It was all, it, it was very frustrating to me for a long time. And I guess the old system where you'd build a barracks and it was like it, the amount of man manpower it added felt very, very small. And you'd be sitting there, you know, with, three quarters of your manpower gone and the most you can do is sort of tinker at the dials a little bit and it feels like they've you know while they have limited the um, way amount of structures you can have in a city depending on its development they've also really boosted the value of those buildings and suddenly a barracks actually feels much much stronger it's yeah. adding you know a thousand or two you know not a thousand but it's adding like two three four hundred well, depending on the Man province it will add like yeah thousands. potentially like a, yeah like uh, in my games is england you put a barracks in london and i think it's like two thousand men uh, joining the force pool, which is, you know, it's pretty significant. Yeah. It, it's a huge deal. But it would, I, I agree with the fussiness, actually. I, I totally agree with that. What is interesting to me, I guess, is that I feel like I can, I feel like it, there has to be one limit. There is at least one limit in there. Maybe it's dollars and maybe it's monarch points and maybe it's manpower and maybe it's this and maybe it's that. Maybe it's, you know, um, you know, army size or something. You have to pick 
at least one or two of those, but you have more decision-making power in picking which it's going to be, um, which I didn't feel, I felt like you were sort of at the whims of the game or the whims of, you know, uh, whatever it threw at you a lot more previously. And I, I feel like now I have more tools to kind of overcome, um, you know, that, that feeling. See, I feel like it was at the whims of the game before, but now it, it, it hasn't quite, it's like expanded a little too much in one direction um, in terms of like, okay, now you have, you know, 20 provinces and you can develop three things out of each of these provinces and figure out which one of those 60 different choices you have is the right one mm -hmm. to do. Um, I, I will I will definitely say this. I can't imagine, you know, where, where it used to feel like, okay, you know, yes, EU4 is, a, you know, it, it, there's a learning curve there, um, but you can kind of just come in and it, it'll kind of ease you into it and you'll understand where you're going as you need to. I don't feel like that's as accessible anymore. Like you, it, it's, it would probably be harder now to my, my feeling that to come in as a fresh newbie in EU4 as opposed to, you know, two months ago well and I, I think that is partly down to the fact that um you know when the game was designed these systems weren't there you know what i mean like you're dealing with an interface that wasn't really designed to support this level of complexity in some ways so like there are certain things like that i guess we kind of instinctively know where to start looking for answers to these problems because we played a lot of eu to this point but i feel like if you know, I, I you know when EU four came out, it was like an EU four. I felt like you know point anyone to and be like, just sit down, start muddling through, and it'll it'll come to you eventually. And the tooltips are great, and they tell you everything you need to know. And now it's very much like, okay, so you need to let's let's take a tour of the info packed uh, province screen, <laughs> uh, and and you see those you see those three little the the three tiny little like nipple buttons uh at the top of the panel well it turns out those are the most important buttons in the game now uh so you should really pay attention to those numbers and the bonuses they confer i know that they, they, they don't appear anywhere on the map or anything like that but but trust me they, they matter the most now and that, I, that's a big change i i think you were right about earlier rob when you were talking about how um you can't just like glance at the map and see this like i don't think the eu4 um, the technology could support, you know, a map that you can glance at and see this is clearly a military province. Like, there are little icons there that you can kind of see, but there's no, like, specific iconography like civilization where, you know, you can see what a city is good for just by seeing what it looks like on the map. You, I, I'm, I'm almost longing for some sort of, like, terrain mesh that will slowly, like, fade in as you develop provinces in a certain way you know what i mean like so that yeah. like like mm -hmm. if you're playing england for instance you see like london sort of grow and sprawl and like the provinces around it sort of take on different characters uh just just uh, you know it could be sort of a maybe gritty dirty look for more industrial or in shipbuilding type provinces and then maybe a more pastoral thing for like manpower i don't know but but something that tells me like look this is the heart of the kingdom right here uh, and here's kind of what where it's being directed right now, uh, but yeah, in, instead you got to go into this previously little used menu. Uh, the the entire EU interface was designed around making it so that you didn't have to click on provinces. You know that entire interface was like trying to remove that step and remove that granularity, and now they're like, eh, let's let's add a lot of granularity back in 
where does it go? Well, we'll 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 stuff it into that panel, and uh, you know, people figure it out. And I, I think it makes for some interesting trade offs and decisions. But I definitely feel like um, I don't know. It's 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 a pretty major change to pretty major change to EU four. Um, there's another point I want to get to in a moment, but first uh, we have some new business to take care of here. A little while back, I mentioned that the Idle Thumbs Network was starting to sell on-air mentions for various shows, Three Moves Ahead being one of them, and uh, I want to congratulate Black Mind Gaming Podcast for being the first people, the very first in the history of Three Moves Ahead, to buy an on-air mention, or as my friend Jack Donaghy calls them, Posmens. Uh, anyway, Black Mind Gaming Podcast is a podcast about video games, uh, making video games, and other random stuff, and it is apparently hosted by three random people whose names are Sam, Sam Josh, and Jeff. Uh, the podcasts can be found on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash blackmindgames, uh, and YouTube by searching Black Mind Games as well. So thanks so much, Sam, Josh, and Jeff for uh, being the very first people to buy an on-air mention uh, for Three Moves Ahead through the Idle Thumbs Network. If you would like to buy a an on-air mention for this show or another show on the Idle Thumbs Network, you can go to th- store.idlethumbs.net and uh, go to the on-air mentions tab, and it will you know it will give you a lot of info about how you can buy and buy a little ad for this show or uh, other shows on the Idle Thumbs Network. So. Uh, Thanks a lot, Black Mind Gaming Podcast, and uh, hopefully we can do this again sometime. Uh, Anyway, going back to EU4, I want to talk about that manpower issue you brought up, Rowan. Um, Not so much that, but like, this seems to be a major thing you've noticed. And I wasn't sure if it was me, because I'm playing England a lot uh, with this with this expansion because it lets me play with a lot of different systems and it, it's a good place to sort of get my feet wet with common sense. I definitely had tons of manpower problems, but I figured, well, that's just England. Like England's whole problem with with waging war on the continent is there just aren't enough English people to sort of match up against like France and Germany and and, and stuff like that. Uh, but in other countries as well, like, you know, in our session today, I was having manpower problems. And Rowan, it sounds like it's been a chronic problem for you. Uh, I, I'm, I'm curious, uh, you know, why you think that is. But also, I just want to get a sense of, are there any other, like, big sort of, like, sticker shock moments for the changes this, this expansion has brought to you? Uh, yeah, I've had, uh, I've played two games with Bohemia, uh, which I played to completion, and then a custom game or on a random set up with a, a Barcelona um, that um, both of them, like that's become the sticking point where I feel like, you know, I'm generally a fairly aggressive player. I want, I want to color the map my color. Um, it's kind of the point of these games, not necessarily, but it feels, it feels like the point to me. And um, when I would like be aggressive in other games, before this add-on, the issue was aggressive expansion. So I would, you know, just walk out, crush all my enemies, and then all of a sudden I'd have a massive coalition against me and massive internal uh, internal issues because of the aggressive expansion penalty hitting and events and in terms of the coalition. And, like, that's something that I always had to be careful about and try to manage. But now it feels like the thing that's stopping me from being that aggressive is just the constant drain on manpower, um, which 
may sort of push towards a more use of mercenaries, which I can kind of understand, but it just feels it feels interesting and not necessarily good that this is now the point where I'm getting stuck. And and I wouldn't necessarily call it sticker shock, but I'm having some issues with sort of trying to figure out how to min-max the development system. I don't know if you guys want to talk about the manpower more because this is kind of this is kind of the rest of the game after doing a game and a half of figuring this out. Uh, Do you feel like this is? I mean, is it dramatically different from the other times? You know, some of the bigger bigger updates that have come along. I'm assuming you do. You mean, you mean in terms of manpower or in terms of like changes? No, I just mean in yeah, in terms of that, okay, I, I have this new problem and I'm trying to deal with it. Yeah, I feel like this is probably the biggest change that they've mm-hmm. gone through yet. And mostly it's good. I think I like a lot of it and there are just some few, a few things that could be tweaked. Um, I don't think this is like quite as big as like what the old gods did to Crusader Kings 2. But um, it's probably the biggest and most important of the EU4 expansions yet. Yeah, I, I would say that's easily uh, the biggest set of changes. I mean, I was able to sort of, probably after my my initial love affair with EU4, I kept very loose tabs on it for, for a while through several expansions. Never once did I feel disoriented when I came back. Like, you know, I, I, I'd talk to the Paradox guys and they'd be like, man, huge changes coming to trade. You won't believe these changes. I, the, the new, I'd load up the new expansion or whatever. <laughs> I'm like, oh yeah, they moved that line. Okay. Yeah. Fine. Cool. <laughs> and go back to playing my game. Now, part of that is I'm not the guy to talk to you about trade because I just have an obsessive relationship with uh, with waging war in Europe. Uh, my games in England keep going wrong, actually, because I will be like, okay, this time I'm just going to leave France. I'm just going to abandon it. Like, as soon as they try <laughs> to conquer it, fine, just take it. I'm going to go back. I'm going to be, I'm going to do the British strategy. Going to be a naval power, going to be a maritime mercantilist power. It's going to be great. Going to colonize the new world. It's going to be fantastic. Burgundy's declared war to seize Co. And uh, they're using conquest as the Casus Belly. Well, the hell with that. How many mercenaries <laughs> can I hire? This this will not stand. I'm gonna I'm gonna make them eat that goddamn province. So that's that's how I end up playing EU4 uh, a lot of times uh, against my better judgment. But this is the first time when I, when I've had a new expansion roll out and I sit down and my very first game like things that have worked always for me go to strategies go to plays are just falling apart. Things are not coming together at all because these these changes are, are pretty extensive. Uh, so, yeah, I think this is this is the most disorienting of, of the of the changes they made. Uh, the others were, were tweaks to a system. This is this is a pretty significant overhaul. It's not just the systems that have changed or it's not just the development and systems and so on. It's the um, events and setup, especially in France, Burgundy, England, the Hundred Years War sort of thing, that's Definitely. been rebalanced. And France actually kind of lost once in one of my games, which is astounding. So they've they've done some changes in terms of like the initial setup to make it not quite so deterministic. Yeah, I actually really like that too. I I, I think there's there are more interesting things going on in that that Burgundy, England, France kind of uh, dynamic that starts in the early game because arguably Burgundy is even though it doesn't have as many core Burgundy provinces as it used to, it's probably stronger um, and in a better position to you know to 
exert its muscle on the mainland because it has these three really, really kind of powerful personal unions. Um, I know that paradoxes describe them as a glass cannon, and I think that's true. If they start to lose that prestige and can't hold those, uh, then they'd be fairly easy to take. Um, but when, you know, even playing as France, you can, don't get me wrong, still the still the big blue blob. I mean, you, you can, it, it, it's not like it's a challenging nation now, but there isn't that sort of uh, sense of uh, omnipotence that you that you might have had before, and you know. Man, I don't know. I like I've been watching the France situation unfold, and I haven't tried to play them. But playing as England, um, a lot of France's vassals, people who used to be sort of a foregone conclusion that like France would just sort of subsume them in, in mm-hmm. to, into France, that is not happening anymore. Like, uh. A lot of those, a lot of those little statelets, are pretty aggressively pursuing independent foreign policies to keep themselves independent of France. I've seen France get really tripped up uh, trying to deal with Pro- uh, Provence and uh, and Brittany. Brittany uh, to, yeah. Like it, like France gets has some serious stumbling blocks out of the gate. Uh, that I don't remember seeing France struggle with well, as much in the past. France doesn't have the advantage that it used to have that Burgundy now has. So, I mean, it used to be Orleans was, uh, was yes. uh, you know, independent, uh, uh, whatever it's called. Uh, that was independent. Armagnac was independent. And because of that, all of those areas had a higher uh, troop count than they would have just as provinces. So, uh, you know, I was even noting in our, our multiplayer game, like by 15 or, or 1470 or so, France still only had like 20,000 troops. Austria was way ahead. Ottomans were way ahead. Uh, even, you know, if you added up all of Burgundy's, you know, holdings, uh, it was way ahead. And and in our game, you know, England still held mainland uh, territories. They still had like Normandy and Labourd and 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 you know, all the, yeah, they're, they're, they're holdings there. So yeah, I think it's, it, it's a more interesting start in that area. I'll tell you Burgundy's new, new start with the, uh, with the, with the union over, mm-hmm. over Holland, over what will become Holland, uh, is pretty damn powerful. That is a great yes, start position. Like that is a ton of trade power that they, they have at their disposal. Like if you're England now, like they can really create problems for you. Uh, in the channel trade node. Um, and then when you f- start fighting them, Burgundy alone can field p- pretty decent numbers of troops, but then you add those union forces in and uh, Burgundy has a pretty hefty uh, hitting power early in the game. Uh, so it's, it's a cool start. It, if the so, AI doesn't get confused. Yeah. Yeah. So some big ifs. One of the things that this ends up changing about the entire feel of the game is that suddenly now the score screen is not just like a thing that happens to be there. Like if you want to use the score screen to judge how you're doing, like you can win, you can beat France. Mm-hmm. Um, like in the my game with Bohemia, um, France and Muscovy both just kind of didn't actually blow up. Um, so, like, the two powers that usually dominate that screen weren't actually there. I was had, like, the third highest score screen uh, score on the final screen, and that was uh, 
that actually felt like something that was able to motivate me to do things, which it has not done in EU4 pretty much ever. Um, so I think that's a that's an interesting and good change from uh, the, from the expansion. I just I just developed a theory on the fly about why manpower is, is such a problem too. Um, lay it on us. All right, hit me. You wanna you wanna beatbox or? <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I think I think we'll pass. Uh, I just I just flashed to John Oliver's drunken rap rap at the end of season one community. Uh, and I was like, maybe maybe not go in that direction. Yeah, we need to get Fraser in to forget to do that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so what I'm seeing a lot is rebels are a bigger problem uh, than, than they've been in the past. Yes, and part of that is because and and this probably needs to be fixed. Uh, is the new fourth system makes rebellion so much more of a long-term problem for you uh, than it ever was before. Because in the past, rebels would spawn, but you had a timer, and that timer was how long would it take them to siege down the fort. Even a basic fort could stymie them for a while, long enough for your you know army to sort of go over there and quash them. Now, if rebels spawn and, and, and rise up against you, they will take these provinces without forts really quickly, like within a couple days. Uh, they'll get the occupation, and then you get hit with the unrest penalty. And so, like, if you have just a just a couple like brush fires of rebellion, uh, that actually becomes a recurring problem much faster and much more easily uh, than it's been in the past. Where suddenly, like, and each time you put down these rebels, right? That's that's thousands of troops probably being killed because, like, you know, the, the rebels the rebels tend to rise, and you know, by the by the uh, tens of thousands uh, across these different provinces. And so, like, something I've observed a lot in my games is that I'm trying to like build up my manpower reserve during my peacetime. But the problem is, like, every time some, you know, craptacular little rebellion breaks out in my backwater, um, they have created, they've seized three provinces before I'm able to get over there and uh, quash them. And it's fast to clean up, but it does mean that that army's probably going to be heading back to that backwater uh, a few more times uh, before the, before the uh, unrest is quelled. It also increases the local autonomy, which lowers gold and manpower. Yeah. So... Even if you can squash it relatively quickly, you're still taking a penalty for a while. And I'm not actually certain that this is something that needs to be fixed. I think it might just be a reframing of the game so that you need to be more aggressive well, in stopping these rebellions before they start. I'm not sure if that's a good reframing. But it's, well, it's interesting. It goes to that it gives things sort of the right flavor in some cases. And going to my England example, um, something I haven't had to do a lot in the past, but I found myself doing a lot with this new expansion is keeping armies in Ireland running around, putting down rebellions and, and sort of lowering the um, unrest just by uh, physically occupying territory and just sort of cycling around Ireland, uh, putting down uh, Irish separatists, uh, which historically is pretty much how that goes down, right? Like England goes into Ireland and can never fully extract themselves until the 20th century. Uh, even then it's, it's this horribly painful drawn out process, but I definitely started seeing that becoming a dynamic too, where like it used to be, I would have sort of these armies sort of to police different sectors of my empire, but it wasn't something that I had to be actively concerned about. Now I definitely am like, okay, these guys need like 
you know, north of England, Yorkshire and everything, or, or the Welsh, there, there's 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 unrest up there, and I just need to like detail about twelve thousand men. Don't have twelve thousand men to spare, but we're just going to hope things stay cool, and uh, we're going to dedicate twelve thousand men to just run around there, uh, putting down rebels, and uh, you know, hopefully picking off rebel armies that spawn. Uh, before they can do any damage. That's a new dynamic, and it is kind of cool. But at the same time, man, do I feel like I'm spending a lot of time uh, just handcuffed waiting for that that manpower number to tick back up, especially in the early game. I'll tell you one thing I like about that, though, is in the idea system, it's making me think about idea sets that I hadn't thought about before. Like, now I might take administrative more often than I would have before, and I might, you know, be looking at some of the other elements of... Uh, you know, the diplomatic tree or, or, you know, thing there, there's, there's areas that have more utility in the early game because of those changes to, uh, national unrest and to the, the, that sort of system. I know one of, uh, you know, one of, I forget which one, but one of them now has like uh, forts cost 20% less. Two weeks ago, I'd have been like, what are we even talking about? You know, and now all of a sudden that is, you know, Worthy of oh, am I going to think about that? Am I going to am I going to you know potentially yeah. go after this idea? I wouldn't have gone after. Yeah, that's the defensive versus offensive ideas when you want like that second military mm-hmm. thing, and it's like oh yeah, I definitely want defensive. Um, another thing um, that this does that it EU four hasn't done for me before is it's made me go and check the local autonomy. Mm-hmm. Like I never adjusted that before this, and now it's like oh crap, if there's any sort of unrest, I'm going to raise that. And I had a, I had a game with my Barcelona game where um, I had an heir with like almost no legitimacy and had a period of like 20 years of uh, civil wars and um, mostly the pretenders, but there was also like a couple peasant rebellions in there too. And it actually made each of those parts have a sort of different flavor. So like I'm... Dra- I'm trying to fight, um, when I'm trying to fight these in the older EU4, it's like, all right, sure, let the, let the, let the people rebel, I will knock them out with my bigger army, and, you know, that's great. But now I'm, like, trying to figure out, okay, how much money do I pay, how many monarch points do I have, because every aspect of that now feeds into sort of the overall, um, overall potential issues because of the forts and how that all, um, how that all affects things. So the peasants ended up winning one of those civil wars with me. And I was like, whatever, they're the peasants, they can win. They can get a little more local autonomy. I don't care. But then I started making, um, like, instead of eight gold per month, I was getting one gold per month. And all of a sudden Mm -hmm. I couldn't support anything else because all the local autonomy took up all the tax and trade money. And... I was like, okay, now suddenly I have to fight off the civil war with the pretenders, um... And managed to like get that without making the profits that I had had, and it made each of those choices feel like a legitimate choice in the event system, which is not always something that paradox games is, are good at. Rowan, there's something you mentioned during our multiplayer game that I just wanted to ask you about because I don't think we 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 really got around to an answer or even confirmed that it was actually happening. You mentioned that you felt like you were being pushed to do less ethnic cleansing. Uh, in EU4 than, than you have in the past. And, you know, I use that term advisedly because 
honestly, if you think about what was a, a winning strategy in a lot of EU4, it involved the destruction and annihilation of culture, religion, and language within your empires to enforce uh, a homogenous national identity. Uh, and it would eventually tell you, like, ah, this 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 ethnic group that was once accepted as members of your empire uh, have dwindled in number, that they're just not fit for anything but menial servitude, so we've sent them out to the fields. Uh, which is pretty dark, but that's kind of what you get up to in that game. And I'm just curious, um, you say you're, you find yourself doing it less in Common Sense, and I'm curious what you think the i mean first of all i'm curious if sean is is experiencing this, the same thing but i'm also wondering what you think the driver is for for that change well i'm not sure it's common sense i feel like this is something that maybe got altered a few patches ago um but they don't have a pop-up about how you have culture groups that aren't happy or you know the the red culture groups instead of the yellow which are tolerated and the green which are accepted so there used to be a pop-up that you know or a drop down or whatever a little banner that constantly said you have all these groups that are unhappy and so in order to get rid of that you had to you know spend your diplomatic power on trying to get rid of them and um that's gone but i also think that the penalty for having those groups has been lowered so, like, maybe the culture group is unhappy in your empire, but maybe it's only 3% unhappy instead of 10%. So they're not actually, like, on the verge of starting a rebellion that you have to worry about. It's just that that province, if the entire empire gets a little less, gets a little unhappy, that province might be a little um, more likely to tip over at that point. But it's not, like, a constant issue. So, uh, yeah, I think that the culture thing has been limited to the point of, almost non-existence mm -hmm. now and um, yeah, I, I think that's probably a good thing i think i tend to I, I tend to agree i feel like this was really a change that began and probably had its biggest impact when autonomy was introduced and some of the unrest changes also happened at that time because autonomy has become the really defining power as far as are you going to make money from this province are you going to get troops from this province are you going to uh, you know, have uh, uh, you know problems with uh, unrest in this province. That's become the main sort of controlling factor, um, and I think that's only been doubled down on in common sense now that we have development so closely tied into that as well. Uh, that I, you know, if if I can't find anything to do with diplo points, I'll check and see if any you know provinces need a culture shift. Uh, but it's not. It's not really something I'm thinking about as I'm taking provinces. It's not something I'm thinking about as much when I'm, you know, looking around for for problems to fix in in the empire. I think autonomy is is far further up that priority list now. Whereas back when I was uh, um, starting with EU four, I think when they finally got the uh, the um, Crusader Kings import. Um, working well or with the mods i was using or whatever like one of the first games i had this empire that was spanned much of the middle east and in crusader kings like all that culture stuff was just sort of whatever it's kind of a nice little flavor um at some point it may make some people dislike me but then as soon as i imported into eu4 my previously pretty well set empire required 40 years of changing cultures and religion otherwise it, the prestige and um, morale hits were just made it impossible to do anything and now i think that you could you know 
take a situation like that and do pretty well with it unless you're lithuania yeah. but well no not with obviously not lithuania but i think religion's still really important but not so much at the provincial level but because of you know that religious unity factor has such a national impact um that yeah. you either have to manage it at a national level by getting ideas that you know lo- you know increase your religious unity to deal with a situation like that uh, but it's not as much, you know, like early on, I totally understand what you were talking about. Like provinces would be wastelands because of that. And, you know, you would just have, you know, these random, uh, 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 you know, like rebels constantly popping up in those areas. And it doesn't it doesn't manifest like that anymore as often. I think it, it much more manifests sort of at the national level of, gee, why don't why am I not making any money as a nation right now? Oh, it's because there's this this, you know, kind of across-the-board modifier that's kicking my butt. And this sort of goes to what I was saying, where this game, or this version of the game, seems to be more focused on fewer and more interesting, bigger choices. Mm -hmm. So instead of worrying about each province's culture, it's now, all right, how do I deal with the autonomy at a a mass level? Um, Except for the development system, which is the opposite. Pretty but, big exception, yeah. but yeah, I, I, I get what you mean. Like you're, you're no longer. I don't longer... think it's. I don't think it's quite as big as you might think. Um, there are a few ways, like when you were talking about how there isn't a way to, or you have to click on the province screen. There are two other ways that you can yep. click on the development and see like a development in mass across the empire, um, and I tend to use the one that's like. Um, in the drop-down menu, uh, it ranks them by where development is the cheapest. And I'm like, all right, I have a bunch of extra military points. Let's just, you know, go with the mm. five cheapest military point places and, okay, I missed and that. go where, with that. Where is that in the... Uh... Um, where, same place where you build armies. Okay. Yeah. It's a pull down. It's the very bottom tab there. But yeah. at the same time, does that actually show you... So the development costs... You know, even though it may be the smallest amount, if there's like mountains there, the development cost will actually be much higher. Um, no, so, it, I mean, it shows think... what it is after the mountains. And oh, stuff. okay. It's, okay, it's... so it does show that. All right, that was my question. Yeah. Um, okay, so winding it down here a bit. Um, overall, I want to just take your take your guys t- take your temperatures on, on this expansion. Um, overall, like, do you feel like this has extended the life of eu4 made it a better game and uh you know do you view this as kind of you know the an essential addition to to european universalis i think that the fort system is makes wars seem to work a lot better and the development system might be a side grade might be a partial upgrade with some annoyances so I wouldn't necessarily go with like full essential in the way that the old gods or a few of the other Crusader Kings were, but um, I think that it is probably the most essential that they have released yet. Yeah, I think it's I, I I'm pretty high on it. I think there's there's you know they've given themselves some things to fix or either you know mix in in, in a more natural way. Uh, but I do think it is a sort of pivotal moment for what is the state of this game and where does it want to go. Uh, I think, you know, while for me, there's still enough familiarity that it still feels a lot like EU 4 to me. Um, it is clearly kind of laying down some new laws and saying from here, uh, 
we are going to turn east instead of just continuing north. And, you know, I, I, there's a lot to like about that. There's, I think it makes, you know, smaller nations more interesting because you have the way of building vertically. I think it makes the distinction between Western and Eastern and, and you know, African powers even more kind of dynamic and, and, and called out. And, I, I you know, I think it, it gives me more interesting things to do uh, during wartime than just chasing down the nearest, uh, the, the nearest army that's against me. I think there's, I think the changes for me are, are, are overall very positive, but in need of, you know, continued sort of balancing or tweaking or, uh, making it all work uh, in context with one another. I also think it helps the late game a lot. Um, now it doesn't just feel like, you know, once you have a certain momentum, um you're pretty much unstoppable it's uh there's sort of a puzzle to kind of min maxing like how to work the development points and money and all all those different things together in a way where you can keep building more buildings keep developing your provinces and like get a get a um get a feedback loop that has um a constant ability to improve instead of getting stuck at an economic level where um, you're making sure that you're getting enough monarch points to continue developing, to continue building buildings and you support the monarch points with gold by getting more advisors. Like that's, that makes the late game feel a lot more interesting, especially, um, especially the very end of the game where I would find the last like 30 or 40 years. It's like, let's just start the Napoleonic Wars because who cares? But now I still have a sort of economic motivation to at least try to make the puzzle box feel a little better. And um, I'm not sure it's like, as you said earlier, Rob, I'm not sure that it's actually a very accessible thing. It's not, it's not really a good way to get introduced to the game, but once you start tinkering with those systems, there is an aspect of it of trying to make sure it all fits in the right way. Sort of like Civilization, um, mm -hmm. uh, the expansion you mentioned Brave that I always... Yeah. Brave New World. I always want to say Beyond the Sword. Yeah. Stupid bees. <laughs> um, yeah, sort of like how Brave New World had all the, the trade kind of create feedback loops of how much money you were able to get and any sort of disruption to that was something you had to try to fix immediately there's now sort of that with monarch points and development and buildings that um keeps a sort of self-motivated aspect to the game that was lacking in the late game before yeah i um I haven't done as much with the late game as I would like. I, I am I was starting to get catch a glimpse of what's possible with like smaller powers uh, when I was playing Sweden just before we, we we recorded here. It was kind of cool to see like if you do a lot of the, sort of that base level investment in your own country, it becomes like you know it's it's exactly what they set out to do it's it's vertical vertical expansion as opposed to horizontal expansion across the map where like instead of conquering a new territory you you husband your resources and uh you know sort of boost your provinces up to up to greater productivity and uh, greater infrastructure uh, ability to support infrastructure and i was starting to see like the cool way that sort of starts to uh scaffold very quickly and sort of let your country uh, boom and sort of 
develop power outsized to its its territory, which was something very hard to do uh, before this expansion came along. So I definitely like it. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I think it's I think it's probably you know it's it's an important expansion. It does it change and develop and deepen the game in a lot of really cool ways. Um, and yet. Whenever a game changes this much, and I think I definitely feel like it's a more radical departure than, than you guys do, uh, but nevertheless, I do feel like whenever you have a game change this significantly on such fundamental levels, uh, I'm always a little bit, bit ambivalent, uh, because suddenly you've, you've, you've taken the game that existed before, and like now it sort of has entered this weird limbo, and, and now you're playing a different game that happens to share the same name, uh, but you're, 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 it, it behaves according to very different rules and systems. Uh, and so that's just, you know, there's a bit of nostalgia tied in with that. Um, a, a bit of missing the game that I used to be really good at and I'm <laughs> struggling mm-hmm. to learn this one. Uh, but, but then there's, then there's also the, uh, the part of me that, you know, remembers how much I, you know, felt disoriented in World of Warcraft. Uh, you know, when I came back to it, you know, after a long break and realized like, wow, that, that experience I had, um, sort of exists in memory now, uh, and and you can roll back versions in the U four. It's not like that version is gone, uh, right. but at, at the same time, it's just it's it, it's a little strange. I am kind of curious how this is going to play out with accessibility, uh, and I'm not even sure how much that matters, right? Because like you, a lot of people have bought in the EU. It's probably more important to keep giving people like us, people like you, Sean, uh, new reasons to keep coming back. Uh, just 200 more hours like uh, yeah just maybe 500 i don't know 2000 can't be that far away well you know the next expansion they're just gonna have to give you the death knight campaign uh and <laughs> you know maybe maybe yes. maybe that'll take you a little while i'll do through. it all again yeah um, um i do think the development system um there's no clear reason to use it and there was a clear reason to do just about anything else in the in the original form of EU4. And that makes it almost impossible to say, like, this is now something you can just pick up. Yeah. And, yeah. like, eventually, I, as I said, I figured out how to, like, use this to my advantage. But it's it's at a level of expertise that was not the case earlier. I agree. Well, I'm sure we will uh, keep tabs on EU4 as it develops and evolves. And uh, it seems like a topic that we, we're all collectively have, finding it harder and harder to stay away from these days, uh, well, just because it's a lot of fun. I think the interesting question, since you mentioned that this was kind of like EU5, is like, does this show the sort of limits of EU4? Is, is this something they should probably like aim in a different direction now? This is, I mean, this is, it, I remember years ago, um, I, we we had Johan on the show, and I either asked him on the air or or outside the interview. Uh, basically, like, you know, are you ever worried you're expanding the game so much that you're like expanding it into sequel territory? And it wasn't the the question was awkwardly phrased, but I I think with this I see a little more clearly what I meant. EU three eventually hit a point where there were a lot of systems sort of dangling loose at the end that actually pointed the direction they would eventually move into U4, right? There were this weird um, magistrates that were important for building infrastructure, and there were all those sort of 
loose mechanics for describing how uh, like Asian nations would govern themselves. Uh, but it all started to feel just a little bit uh, half-baked uh, by the end of EU3's life cycle. I, like, it just did not feel... My enjoyment with the, of that game peaked uh, probably an expansion or two before they, they ceased development on EU3. And uh, with EU4, I feel like this is the time I'm like, okay, you are now having ideas for this game design that kind of contravene what you originally set out to do, your original parameters. And I think that is most evident with interface, uh, just just the way that information is, is conveyed to the player. But this definitely does feel like, uh, you know, the, the moment where, okay, you're, you're pretty, you're, you're, you're off your original roadmap now. And uh, I, I'm kind of curious where the road goes from here and, and whether it, it should uh, go too much farther as a game called EU4 built on this system. And this is sort of an interesting comparison to Crusader Kings, which I feel like the expansions are working within that interface and map and system in a way that it does still work. Like the things that are broken are still kind of broken, but the things that they're adding are um, work within that pretty well. Has, has, I, and this is, I, I wish, I wish Troy was here, here to tell us, has Henrik Ferreus pretty much run Crusader Kings two though, from, from beginning to end? Like, is, is yeah, that could be part of still it. his baby. Yeah. I, I didn't necessarily want to get into the, uh, well, yeah, the, the inside the, who baseball was doing it, but, but but there's definitely but, you like know, EU4 is the product of of three leads, mm-hmm. um, yeah, and that's you know maybe that's maybe that's starting to tell. Could be a huge part of it, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's it, it's it's an interesting it's an interesting thing. They're definitely trying to to build and expand this game uh, in so, in some really important and interesting ways, uh, and it's it's really stretching what's at, at what they originally conceived of with that design so i'm I'm curious where it does go from here um and i i, I do i i do wonder how you can sort of ease newer players into that experience because i do feel like you know the thing we, we've been saying for the last couple of years right is like man eu4 the paradox finally did it like you can just sort of wing it in that game and it's just like button presses and like it's pretty accessible like it's it's not that difficult to figure out um and this expansion comes along and i'm like huh this is this is something i feel like i would need to sit down with someone and sort of talk them through hell i need to be talked through it by you guys to an extent so uh it'll be interesting to see how that shakes out for them as well but overall cool expansion we liked it yes yes good job paradox yeah now do a gooder job do it do more good Seriously, fix that. Fix those rebel seizing provinces, cram. Okay, like no, I'm done with it. All right, like I've had like three games now. It happened. It happened in our last game as well, where England just just like collapses under the weight of Lollard heresy. Okay, you yeah. did. It you did. did just now pick those. Both of those you picked England and then Lithuania, which are like the two most rebellious countries around. Like you're either going to be fighting Lollards or. Whatever's going on in Lithuania, depending yeah, on you what know, part we, of Lithuania. You know, take talk take about it Lithuania. easy. Okay. Take it easier next time and pick the Ming Rob. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that'll be that'll be another podcast. The three moves ahead does East Asia uh, in EU four. Uh, it'll it'll be great. It'll be it'll be like the Hangover two, uh, but for <laughs> EU four. All right, uh, thanks so much for chatting with me this this Friday night. 
And um, as always, my thanks to Michael Hermes for uh, putting this episode together. My thanks to Fraser Brown, who is off celebrating his 30th birthday. Congratulations, Fraser. You made it. Uh, I had my doubts, but I- I'm glad I'm glad you've come this far. Uh, he wasn't able to join us for this podcast, but he did help us uh, put some of our thoughts in order by uh, being a valuable member of a multiplayer session uh, that was surprisingly fruitful for giving us stuff to talk about in the mm-hmm. podcast. Uh, definitely a, a model I might want to re- revisit in the future. Um, we'll be back next week with... Uh, one of many topics that we currently have on the back burner. We'll, we'll see how it all shakes out. Uh, until then, this has been Three Moves Ahead. Good night. Uh, I should have probably not blurted that into a microphone. Hermes has so much, Hermes has so much blackmail material on me already, though. It's, it's fun.